Welcome back to the LED Project Podcast. My name is Kyle Krieger, and I'm thrilled today to be joined by my friend Mitchell Meehan. Mitchell, how are you? Not bad, man. Thanks for having me on tonight. I'm super excited for a good conversation this evening. Yeah, thanks. And and once again, I know it's kind of a broken rep- record, but just connected through Instagram and following you with uh, all the stuff you're doing with tech. And you're doing a big Gatsby unit right now, right? I didn't... I, I saw. Th- I am. We're right. We're right in the middle of it. We're just kind of um, finishing I, up doing the last chapter tomorrow. So I definitely want to talk about that because I've seen so many. I've seen so many people like doing the Gatsby unit. Is it just something that like everybody saves for the end of the year because it's like the greatest thing ever? Um. So for me, I do early American literature, and the Great Gatsby is not really considered early American literature. But um, I kind of end my my semester with literature in about the 1920s. So it kind of fits right in that time period. So it just happens to be a kind of good culminating uh, unit for us at the end of the school year, at the end of the semester. Perfect. Perfect. So yeah, we'll definitely get into that. Try to get into a little bit of what you do with, with technology and, and some of that other stuff. But just to get started, could you just kind of tell everybody, you know, what your background is and kind of the story of how you came to be a teacher? Yeah, of course. So I originally grew up in Pittsburgh, um, had some really cool teachers throughout middle school, um, probably, I want to say like seventh, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, uh, just really connected with me. We had that team setting where, you know, we would rotate through five or six different teachers, and I just really felt like I connected with them all really well for all three of those years, kind of back to back. So going into high school, I definitely knew that education was something that I was interested in and possibly pursuing um, in the future. So uh went to college on an athletic scholarship and pursued education and um, really got into it throughout college, working with kids with some different groups and eventually kind of got my dream job a year or two after college, teaching uh, primarily 11th grade English um, at a high school in Northwestern Pennsylvania. So I've been doing that now for the past five years. Um, Like I said, I teach early American literature. I've also done some SAT prep classes and some um, journalism classes for our school yearbook, but um, it's just been kind of a wild ride, uh, learning experience along the way, still learning something every day. So nice, cool. nice. Where did you, where did you play, uh, your college sports? So I went to a small division, kind of a small division two school in, um, Pennsylvania. Uh, it's called Gannon university. And I was a swimmer for all four years there. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. All right, so you, you talked a little bit about that sixth to eighth grade window, and and this could be outside of that window. But do you have a particular teacher that, when you think that was that was just your favorite teacher, or could you maybe explain why those teachers you had in that time were were really special to you? Um, I'm thinking, I can't think of one particularly, but just again, like even seventh grade sticks out to me. Just all the teachers on that team just had such great energy. And I remember like coming into class and they would just be so excited for you to be there and they would get you excited and kind of everybody's energy just, you know, fed off of each other. And it just made school like really a fun time. Like I just had a really good experience through throughout middle school, really liked going to school. Um, My grades kind of reflected that. And then, you know, looking back on maybe teachers who I didn't connect with as much, I can see where my grades suffered or where my interest level wasn't there. But just those teachers in middle school that really just kind of made things fun and um, kind of brought the energy every single day just made for a really good experience. And it's definitely something that stuck with me, um, you know, for past 10 or 15 years, however long it's been now. Yeah, you know, and you and you bring that point. And I think there isn't, there isn't a teacher out there that has an experience either those days when your energy level is down or you know, the, the few kids that you maybe don't connect with. And there's, 
there's definitely that that little bit of that down drop and and in you know kind of performance and energy and fun and and I guess I I'm starting to notice it here at you know we are getting to the end of the school year but like there's just you, you have to really be aware and and even when it's hard you kind of got to really bring the energy because if if we don't bring the energy our kids are going to suffer and I think that's a that's a really cool lesson that you learned in middle school. Yeah. And I mean, I can even see that now, like if, if days, you know, if I'm not feeling hurt, if I'm not on, they pick up on that and they ask, you know, how are you doing today? Are you okay? Like what's going on? And then you can see that they're not into it if you're not into it. So, um, you know, it's hard to do that and bring that every single day, especially multiple periods throughout the day. But um, it really does make a difference. I feel like if you're able to, you know, kind of just engage and be there and be, have your head kind of in the right mindset for the day. Absolutely. And do you, do you feel like your kids like on those days, do you feel like they, they kind of cut you a break though some days? Cause I, I know there are definitely kids that I've had who, you know, when they can sense it, you know, there are some kids that are like, Hey, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be cool today. I'm, I'm going to just kind of tone it down. And unfortunately there are some kids that as soon as you kind of, your, your energy level goes down, like they ramp it up. So Right. I mean, I definitely have both. There's there's some that will like to push the buttons a little bit, test the boundaries. Um, and then once they see maybe you really are having a rough day and it's not just kind of like, you know, a playful thing, then they'll kind of back off and give you some space and, you know, kind of do their own thing for the day. So I'd say especially like at the junior level, um, they tend to be pretty they tend to recognize pretty easily, you know, the situations and uh, react appropriately. Right. On. All right. So what would you say is the the state of education in america today oh, i feel like we're in such a weird place right now um i kind of feel like the public gets kind of like a jaded perspective from it just because it seems to be turning into this big political battle um i mean two things that come to mind right off the bat are just uh, teacher pay in some of the states you know down south and maybe out west and then um, everything that's going on with school violence and i feel like those two things are just kind of at the forefront of education right now and turning it into this huge political battle where it's party against party when really um, I feel like it should be a bipartisan issue. It's, you know, it's education for students. It affects every single student across the entire country. And I don't see how that can't be a focus, you know, for everybody. So I feel like it's just really kind of almost in a dark place right now because the focus is just not where it needs to be. Um, You know, it should be on, you know, providing resources, providing funding for schools, you know, no matter what. And I just feel like the, the focus has kind of shifted to, to somewhere where it just doesn't need to be and it's not not in a good place um in my perspective right now right but do you but do you notice like at your school because you know a lot of people i've talked to have said that but do you notice though that like that there still are a lot of there still is and are you around like some really good teachers because that's a thing that i've noticed too like whether i'm looking in the school i work in or the people i've talked to on the podcast or like to, uh, you know how we connected on instagram I think there are so many really great teachers doing really great things out there. And I think, like you said, that maybe um, doesn't get into the public's view. And maybe that's why they're so jaded as to what's going on with education. Right. And to me, that's the biggest way we can improve it is just make people in your community aware of what you're doing. So, you know, within your school, recognize those teachers that are doing awesome things, you know, in your own classroom. You have to reach out to the community, reach out to parents. 
um, you know, share things on social media or online or send things home so the parents in the community can see what's going on in your schools. I mean, once you open those doors and kind of invite the community into so they can see, then now your whole community is going to be invested. Those are the taxpayers um, in a lot of cases where the schools are getting at least some some of their funding from. So, you know, if you can make the community feel invested in you know, the different schools throughout your area. And I feel like that's really just kind of going to improve morale and, you know, really, uh, really be a positive impact for, for the students and then for the entire community as well. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's such a good point to, you know, you, you said the word that I think is important is to, you know, to get people invested and, you know, invested doesn't have to be a monetary thing. I mean, obviously we need funds, but to just make people a part of it. I think that's, that's such a good point. So do you have, you know, in your classroom or in your teaching, do you have a particular philosophy on education or kind of a, a mantra that you stick to? Um, I wouldn't say it's really anything specific per se. Um, mine's really just kind of, I would just want to expose students to as many different things as, as possible, because I know even for me, like when I got to college, there's, there's that stigma that, by the time you leave high school at 18 years old, you need to know what you're doing for the rest of your life. And I just think that's so unrealistic. Um, and especially for me, like I didn't really get a lot of exposure for different things. So I just want students to just kind of see and explore the world around them and to realize that, you know, um, one individual class is really not the, the the key to making their education important or, or relevant. So I just like, you know, kind of well-rounded exposure, um, do as many different things as possible and, you know, just kind of try and get them to latch onto something, take, take pride in something, take, find an interest in, you know, something, whatever it is. And then, you know, maybe explore that for a little while. Then if they a couple years down the road or whatever, decide that's not right for them, then they have some other experiences that they can kind of fall back on. So I'm really big on just, um, you know, I bring in people from the community, guest speakers, um, uh, different resources just so students can see, you know, what's what's locally available to them, um, maybe at the state level, then across the country, just different things they can get into, uh, career paths, um, you know, that kind of thing. Just I just really right. think exposure is really something that's important to me in my classroom. Right, right. And I think that's, that's important too because so you said that when you went to college, you knew you were going to be a teacher when you went into college? Uh, correct. But then, you know, you get there and it's kind of like, the back and forth, is this right for me? I'm not sure if this is right for me. And um, and I definitely know I had friends that you get, you know, pretty far into it and then they decide, you know, this isn't it. This isn't, this isn't what right. I want to do. And, right. you know, without that exposure, without some dif- different experiences, um, it can be, can put some people in a tough spot. Yeah. I mean, and I was the same too. I, I went in with an education major and I graduated with an education major, but I really like, you know, what, what you said about having kids exposed to a bunch of different things because you know there's so much out there in the world but i i do agree that they're still trying you know kids are still being being told that they need to make up their mind by 18 or 19 and i and i look at things and there were things that i still didn't understand about life and about who i was at 25 and even 30 you know so these kids at 18 you know i really like what you said about experiences giving them the opportunity to see what's actually out there versus just telling them, well, these are your options and, and, and that's what it is. Right. hundred percent. All right. So, you know, kind of back to, you know, what we we're talking about a little bit with education and social issues um, at your school, what, what would you just guess is the, 
is the ratio of, of male teachers to female teacher, teachers? Um, at the secondary level in our, our high school building, I, I would say we're about, about 50, 50, about pretty much even split, nice. but I can think I'm in a smaller district and I can think down, um, to our middle and elementary levels, there definitely tends to lean more towards female teachers than male. Um, right. Yeah. I, I would say we're about, we're about split in my building though. Yeah. I, and, and on that, the question I want to ask is just, you know, as, as male teachers, I think, I think it's important that, you know, we have the conversation and start thinking about what our role is, you know, in, in teaching the male students outside of the content, because, you know, like in, in, you know, our society is, is changing for the better. And, you know, the way women are, are to be treated is, you know, is becoming more, re- I don't want to say it's more relevant, but it's just, it's really out there and it's really a point And it's something that I feel like we have um, an obligation to do. So, what do you think your role is in, in showing the young men in your school and the young women, you know, what the right way to handle those kind of relationships are? Um, for me, it pretty much just starts with respect. I mean, I show them respect. I expect the same in return. I expect them to respect each other. Um, you know, and anytime I kind of see that straying from, from respectful boundaries, um, you know, they don't, I don't expect them to be friends with everybody, but they need, they need to at least respect the presence of classmates who they may or may not agree with or, or like for whatever reason. Um, so I just really try and show them that you need to be appropriate, uh, you know, whether it's like we're debating on something or, you know, there's issues that you might not agree with, you know, how can you politely disagree with somebody so that you're, you know, still respecting, respecting their opinion or respecting them as a person or respecting something about them that's different that you, um, it doesn't really jive with your with your lifestyle or whatever. Um, so I did a lot last semester with my seniors. We talked a lot about gender equality and um, had some speakers come in from our local news station, uh, some female CEOs that talked about their their experiences with gender equality. And you know, it's just kind of like keep the dialogue open about you know what's appropriate and what's not appropriate, and you know how far like little actions and little um, being respectful just to other people, how far that can get you. So. Um, I've had I've had a lot of success with that this year, and we've had some really good conversations um, on the students in my classes. So I think that's kind of just a good place to start, you know, just making sure that people are just respecting each other. Yeah, yeah. And do you do you feel like you you explicitly say like, hey, this is this is what we're gonna do. This is we're gonna respect each other. Is it more something you you try to model for your kids as to what it should look like? Um, I think more it's just modeling for me, Um, you know, just taking an interest in, you know, things that they're doing that are outside of class because, you know, I never, I never will try and put on the the front that my class is the most important thing that they have going on in their day, week, life, whatever, because it's just not that important. I mean, in the great scheme of things, it's just an English class. So, you know, I just kind of like show them respect, you know you told me you had a baseball game or your family was going on this vacation, you know, take an, take an active interest in the things they're doing and the things that they're interested in or the things that they write about in their assignments and, you know, ask some questions. And I think that that modeling it in that way kind of just opens that dialogue for a respectful environment. Um, and then, yeah, I, I don't really ever, you know, start it with, okay, here's what we're doing. It kind of just, you know, open up, like I said, open the dialogue up and then kind of see where it takes us. Absolutely. That's, that's awesome. So, 
Um, you know, kind of moving into your content area, um, you know, ELA and, and I don't, I don't want to say it's like a traditional class, but you know, reading, reading and writing itself, you know, is something very basic, something we've been doing as people forever. But I'm, I'm wondering now with the increase in technology and the increase in communication and those things, how are you? How are you merging, you know, the the kind of base skills of reading and writing with all of the technology that's available to us as teachers and to our kids? Uh, for me, it's just kind of a lot of experimenting, a lot of trial and error, a lot of, um, well, let's see how this goes and just, you know, trying it. Uh, sometimes it's even just me. I have an idea or I'll have, you know, a prompt or a question or just like an overreaching thing that I want them to, to address. And then I kind of set them free and see what they come up with. They'll make um, posters or illustrations on an, an iPad or they'll film a video or um, or whatever. So, you know, sometimes I kind of uh, I kind of give them some strict guidelines. Okay, you're going to be filming a video to respond to the story that we just read in this way and it needs to include A, B, and C. Sometimes it's more just um, tell me about the American dream in a two minute presentation or whatever. So I kind of try and keep things more fluid uh, just so that they can, you know, find the best way that they can present or um, the best way that they can show, you know, whatever their point of view is on whatever the topic is. So for me, it's just kind of a lot of trial and error, Um, you know, finding a way that you can maybe do the same writing assignment that you've done before without it being a full length essay. So maybe we're just going to focus on one point instead of three. And instead of writing it, we're going to, you know, do it with an interview and include um, a small piece of research or a statistic or something in some way. Um, Yeah. So that's, for me, it's just kind of taking an idea, running with it. If it doesn't work, tweak it, toss it out completely. Uh, and then just see what works and what doesn't. And they, they're good at, they're pretty good at coming up with lots of ideas on their own as well. And, you know, kind of on, on that vein, you know, the trial and error method is great and it works, but do you, did you ever feel like, cause I know I felt like, um, early in my career and, and even now, like when I put something together that I think is going to be good and, and it doesn't work for whatever reason, um, how do you, you know, keep a good perspective on, well, hey, this is something I'm going to try and, and not let it get you down that something didn't work or a particular thing doesn't work? Um, I just kind of keep like an open mind that just because something didn't work doesn't mean it wasn't worth trying. You know, what did we learn from it? What do I now know to never ask again or to never try again? And, you know, I know that that self was more valuable than just playing it safe. So I really don't focus on whether or not something crashed and burned or not, because if it did, then, you know, I always just try something else. Um, so I try not to get too comfortable and, you know, just repeating something just because it was easier. So, and then even being honest with them. So if we make videos and then they ask me the next day, okay, we turned these in yesterday. Can we watch them all? Uh, you know what, guys, those, <laughs> I watched them yesterday. They weren't that good. So we're just going to kind of push that aside and then move on because it wasn't, we didn't really get out of that what I was hoping to get out of that activity. So you just, you, you can't be afraid for it to not work. And then, you know, that's a learning experience for them too. I thought this, this kind of fell short of my expectations. Um, so we're going to try something else instead. Right. Right. So in, in your class, how much, how much reading would you say your kids are doing? 
Um, I would say we do a little more than usual because, um, so in Pennsylvania, in high school, we have to, to give a state exam for literature, which is um, basically a reading test. And it's in it's a component of my course. So we kind of are doing more reading to get them prepared for that. So it is a lot of reading, but it's I try and incorporate, you know, an equal amount of writing as well. So it's kind of a balance. Um, so I guess then the, the follow-up question to that is, you know, with all that reading, how do you, you know, keep your kids from getting, you know, burnt out of reading or really, you know, a step farther, really facilitate them having a love of reading? Because I know that, um, you know, in my experience and, and with students I've had, you know, there's, there's kids that just don't love reading. So I'm wondering kind of how you really encourage them to read and, and develop that love of reading. So it's not something that I really share with them directly, but um, I really, even though I'm an English language arts teacher, I really don't enjoy reading all that much. And it's probably our school librarian, one of her favorite things about me is that I teach English, but I don't really enjoy reading. And I just think that comes from, you know, growing up being always forced to read something that I wasn't interested in. Um, you know, you're forced to read certain novels or books or textbooks, especially in college. Oh my gosh, the amount of reading you had to do just stuff that I wasn't interested in. So I've kind of flipped that mindset for, for my students where we have um, self-selected texts they can read. And then I try and do at least a couple of assignments where they can share, you know, what they read and why it was of an interest to them. Um, so I've had students read, you know, traditional fictional novels. Um, I have a student who was originally born in Africa and she was interested in reading some more materials about you know, about her culture. So she read a book on that. I had a student who was super into mechanics and he was reading some type of manual on how to repair motorcycles and build something in some way. But I had no idea what it was, but it was interesting to him. And he, I just gave him some time to read that during class. So I kind of built in some self-selected time where they can read anything they want, whatever it is, graphic novels, just something that's of interest to them. And it really has surprised me that the students who who I would think would never pick up a book, you know, on their own. And they, they're like the ones that are the first ones to be super interested in it or ask, you know, can we have some more time to read our books? And, you know, that's important to me, just, you know, showing them that, that I value that time, you know, 10 or 15 minutes here and there, a um, couple of days a week, giving them time to just read, read on their own, find stuff that's interesting to them and, you know, building that time in for them. So that's important to me. Um, in order to get them to hopefully like reading at some point um, throughout their life. So, you know, I think that's important to give up some of that instructional time and let them just kind of go free and read, read at their own pace. I guess I got, I got to ask. So then how, as, how, as a reading teacher, do you kind of get through that, you know, not really having a desire to read or, you know, how does that work in your classes that to where you, you still are, you know, keeping up with the material and doing that when you're not, um, that avid of a reader. So then to me, that comes back to the technology, which is a strength and an interest of mine. So, you know, okay, we're going to read this, but then what are we going to do after we read this? That's going to kind of pull the story out and make it, um, you know, more interesting. So, um, I've kind of moved to reading more, more pieces that are shorter as opposed to, um, you know, longer full-length novels. Gatsby, The Great Gatsby is the only novel that I read start to finish um, a full-length text. You know, some other things I'll either shorten or we'll just read a, um, an excerpt from it just because you can still kind of do the same um, 
you can still kind of analyze in the same way, even if you're not reading the whole thing. And um, Gatsby, we read the whole thing because it's it's a relatively short novel to begin with, um, and they really enjoy it. So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of how I keep it going. Is just you know pick shorter things, cut some things down, um, and then you know kind of in, try and engage through some different activities um, after we do the reading. Right on. And then you know that kind of led me into one of my next questions. So, you know, tech is a passion of yours. So you know, what are, what are some of the tech things that you're using? What are some of the things that are most successful and, you know, what's kind of out there to really help teachers uh, improve their craft? So, I mean, my school, my students are lucky at my school because we are one-to-one with iPad devices. So every student has um, an iPad that they're able to take home every single night and bring to class with them every single day. So obviously we use those um, frequently, but then, you know, Every single one of my students also has a cell phone. Um, a lot of them are iPhones, which are then compatible with our iPad devices. So, you know, I let them use their phones in school. That's a free, for me, that's a free device they're already bringing with them that they're able to do a lot of different or interesting things with. Um, I never really understand the teachers that, you know, prohibit those devices, depending on whether, you're, whether or not your school um, allows it. But um, I don't understand why you would why you would prohibit them from using that as a learning tool in the classroom, because the second they walk out of your classroom, that's what they're going to use in the real world. So, you know, I really believe in letting them use that in the learning environment where it's a little more structured and we can see, you know, what are some ways we can actually use your phone productively and tie it into, you know, what we're doing with this novel or this book or this, this essay or whatever it is. So, um, and I actually, you know, felt like I was kind of making up that philosophy, but that I had some students that I just reconnected with um, about a month or two ago who are now in college. And they say, um, they were saying, you know, I take notes on my phone during my college lectures or I'll record the lecture on my phone. So, so they're using them out there, you know, in college too. So I want them to kind of get that exposure while they're in high school as well. And, you know, in your classes, they're using phones, they're using iPads. And, and we all know that that you know the concern from administrators and parents and other teachers is that they're going to be on social media and they're going to be doing you know the stuff they're not supposed to be so how do you kind of monitor that and you know set your expectation that you know when you're using these devices that's for whatever purpose it is even that for me is also kind of trial and error um for me when i got to college one of my biggest struggles was the, the fact that there was nobody there sitting sitting beside me while I was doing my work saying, you know, this needs to get done by this deadline. College is so much more fluid. The real world is so much more fluid. And, you know, you know what you need to do for your job or for whatever it is. And if you're getting distracted with your phone or with TV or whatever, then that needs to be on you. So I kind of use that philosophy to get them to kind of self-monitor their usage and their, um, you know, their attention and their, their details and their organization. I kind of try and let them self-monitor that. And if they miss a deadline or they don't get an assignment done and then, you know, they come to me, why did I get, why did I earn a 50% on this? And, you know, well, remember yesterday when you were on Twitter for half of the class or whatever, and then they kind of, they kind of get it that they need to, you know, self-monitor their usage. And I'm not going to sit there and ask them to put their phone away 15 times. If they're not doing the assignment that's expected of them, then they're not going to turn it in. And that means they're not going to earn the points. And eventually um, the ones that, that maybe are prone to kind of being distracted and more off task, eventually they understand that, you know, I'm not going to be the one that's going to sit there and 
babysit them and, and walk them through an assignment. They, they know what the expectations are. They know the deadlines. They know when they need to get things done. So for me, it's just kind of, I think it's more valuable to let them, you know, self-assess that and learn those, learn that strategy kind of on their own, because then they'll take that into senior year and eventually into college or the workforce or to a trade school or whatever it is. Yeah. I, I mean, I love that answer because I'm, I'm very much on that same um, kind of playing with you with the kids and their cell phones because I, I'm a big believer in natural consequences. And I, I think that's kind of summing up what you said. That is, if the kid can't prioritize and they can't keep their attention, then they're going to get that consequence of, of you know, that poor grade or, or whatever it might be. And, you know, the high school I work in, you know, they want to, they have rules that, you know, kids can only have their phones out at lunch and they can't have earbuds in and they can't do this. And they can't do that. But I mean, I would have to stop 25 kids every, in between every class who are walking down the hall in their phone with their phone or have their earbuds in. And I, I really liked what you said that, you know, the real world is fluid and, you know, when they go out into the real world, they're going to have to use that device. They're going to have to know how to make it work. So I really, I really appreciate that answer. I think that's a fantastic way to go about it. Yeah, I just feel like what I mean, what a waste of our time and energy. There's there's no way to keep all the phones out of their hands every minute of the day or whenever you don't want them there. So the second you tell them they can't have it, they're going to be trying to sneak it anyways and try and figure out a way that they can get around it. So my thing is kind of just, you know, let them use it and if you mess something up along the way because you had to be on um had to be on Twitter for that 10 minutes, then, then you're going to figure that out. Right. Right. That's awesome. So, um, you know, kind of moving more into, you know, technology and social media for teachers. Um, I, you know, when I first went to college, my first year in college, I, I graduated high school in 2003 and I think it was 2004 that, or maybe 2005 that my small school in Minnesota got Facebook. You know, so I was, I mean, so I was, I was, you know, of the group that was originally like, Hey, Facebook is just for college kids. Right. And you, you know, now everybody's on Facebook, everybody's on Instagram, you know, whatever these things are. But what's something that I'm learning and, and maybe it was out there before, but you know, what do you think our role as teachers is in, you know, in embracing the social issues and, you know, when it's our issues speaking out and, and being, um, active in those issues? Um, so for me, I'm a big, big pro proponent of that. Um, it's something that I use with my students and I use um, to publish things and opinions um, almost daily. So, you know, I, we talked a little bit earlier about how it's important for teachers and schools to, you know, promote their schools, post things that they're doing and, you know, publish the, the awesome things that their students and teachers are doing within the school. So I think, you know, social media offers such a great platform for that because one it's free and two it's already these are already the platforms that people are using in their daily lives so you know i think i think get things out on twitter get things out on instagram get things on facebook um, it's not only going to help spread awareness about what's going on in your classrooms and your school but it's um just kind of a way to connect with other other students or other teachers or uh, whoever you know around your area around the country um, whatever it is. And in terms of specific social issues, um, I think it's really given teachers a voice to expose uh, different components of education and share share with the world the things that, that might other not wise be known, you know, in a specific school, in a specific area um, or region around the country or 
you know, whatever. And teachers, teachers have a voice too, and they can, they're able to share their, their opinions, you know, appropriately about certain, you know, hot, hot button issues or, you know, social, social issues. And then that in itself is a learning experience for the students because they can see, you know, maybe this is how you, this is how you share an opinion publicly in a professional way, or, or maybe you don't do it in a professional way. And then that's also a learning experience for them. You know, that's, this person posted this and then it's, it's public and it's permanent. So, you know, I really think it's, it's just a great learning experience all the way around positive and negative um, and opens a, a good conversation for how, how important it is for students to, you know, have awareness of their, their online identity and their digital footprint and that, you know, things they're putting out there can be seen by people anywhere instantly. And, you know, once it's, once it's out there, it's hard to get back. Right. And do you, I mean, do you have, have you been having talks with your kids about, you know, the social issues that are going on if it's, if it doesn't fit in with your curriculum or do you have to kind of make it fit in with your curriculum? Um, so for me with, with English, I kind of, it's, it's definitely easier for me, I think, than, um, than other content areas because I can find something or I can pull a resource that we can then read and discuss or write about. And immediately that fits with my curriculum because, you know, if, if we're reading, writing, listening to something or speaking about it, that's, those address my English standards and it's, you know, that's enough. So it's definitely easier for me to kind of pull that thing in, to pull those things in, you know, as they, as they happen, as they come up. Um, But I can see how that would be a challenge for some other teachers and some other content areas. Yeah. I mean, it's just, and and I really like the point that you, you made a second ago about how, you know, even if you, even though you can take down a tweet or you can take down an Instagram post, once it's up there, for better, for worse, it's up there. And I, and I just think the world is is changing in that everybody can, you know, can see everything all the time. And I'm, I'm not trying to, this is kind of a funny positive example. So, you know, my, my tiny school in Wisconsin that I graduated from, you know, a tiny town of like 2000 people was trending like number six on Facebook today because some oh, of wow. the seniors they some of the seniors at my high school took a car cut it in half and then they like took a black tarp and taped it to the side of the school right where the principal's office was and then like set the car against the wall and put a bunch of bricks around it and it looked just like it looked just like they had driven a car right into the principal's office oh no <laughs> it, and and like That's it funny. was I had a friend, you know, I have, you know, I only live about an hour from where I grew up, but I have friends from around the, you know, over that are like, Hey, that's your high school. And, and, and that's, and then it's, and it's so funny. My high school too has been famous because, um, one of, one of the backstreet boys is apparently a cousin to one of the principals at my high school. And so he, he recorded a video telling all the kids that it was a snow day and to tell them they had a snow day, like in, in January, they put it out on the school's Facebook and it went all over there too. That's cool. I think I actually saw that now that that sounds familiar to me. Yeah. So, so it's been crazy, but you know, like you said, I, I really, I really appreciate that you are, you know, letting the kids have both their, 
their positive and negative consequences. I think that's important because like you said, the real, I, I just can't get over. I really love what you said that the real world is fluid because I mean, that's the best way to describe it. It's, it's always changing. All right. So, um, I would love if you would talk a little bit about your Gatsby unit. Cause I've been following you on Instagram and I just love, like, I, didn't I see you like in a full suit and tie on Instagram like a couple days ago? Oh yeah. Yeah. That is, um, so what the story is about, it's about this man who basically builds his life up from nothing and um, how his pursuit of his this one dream eventually leads to his demise. So he kind of throws these big elaborate parties um, and has people from all over the city of New York come um, for a very specific reason. And then he in, ends up inviting somebody for a very specific reason because he needs something from him as his neighbor. So, you know, when we read the story, um, it's called the great Gatsby. So they think the whole thing is going to be about this Gatsby character, but he's not actually introduced until the third chapter. So, um, in the third chapter, he throws this big elaborate party and he sends He sends one invitation to his neighbor because he needs him to come because he has a question for him. Um, so it's this big kind of like scheme that he dreams up. So, you know, I, I dress up and I decorate my room and kind of throw this, I mean, it's not really a party. It's just like fruit punch and we read the book, but, um, you know, I have the decorations there and I send out an invitation to all the students um, in their homerooms that says, you know, the same thing that's in the book. Uh, you, it would be an honor if you could join me at my party, my little party this evening. Um, so then they get the invitation. They see what it feels like for the narrator to be invited to this party. And then once they get there, we talk about, you know, why is he the only one that's invited to this party? Here it is. You know, it's this big elaborate lifestyle. But really, what is this all? What's the story behind this lifestyle? What's the story behind these parties? What's he really trying to achieve here? And then it kind of just, you know, enhances that dialogue in their, you know, their hypothesis and their assumptions that they're trying to make um, and infer about what, what's going to happen later on in the story. That's awesome. And, you know, we have a lot of fun with it. Yeah. And, and do the kids, I mean, do the kids really get into it with like the invitations and that stuff? Because I think that's so awesome. Um, so it's funny. It's usually about half and half. You know, some of them will get it and they're just, you know, they're sitting in their homeroom and they're not in the the English class mindset. So they're like, well, I don't get what this is. What am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? And then, you know, my colleagues kind of understand, they know what I'm doing already by now. So they're just like, you know, just go to class and then it'll make more sense. But then there's ones who get it, the invitation and they, you know, realize right away what's happening. So they, their wheels are already turning. So it's usually kind of 50, 50, you know, some of them get it right away. Some of them don't, but then eventually once they get to class and we start talking about it then they kind of connect the pieces, then we read the chapter and they see, you know, it's the same text that, um, that the narrator reads. It's the same color that the narrator mentions. And, you know, it's the same events that are happening in this chapter. So it makes more sense to them eventually once we do it. Um, but then it's about 50, 50 that understand it right, right off the bat versus, you know, don't get it. Awesome. Awesome. And, and that's just like, and that's something that I, I, I admire about so many teachers is the length that they'll go to, to set up, you know, a classroom event or stuff like that. I think it's, that's maybe one of my favorite things about, you know, the, especially the Instagram teacher community is just that you can see all the great things that teachers are doing every day. Yeah. it's awesome. All right. So I saw on your Instagram, um, you, you had an advertisement or, uh, or something for a, a, a company or, a uh, an organization called matchback.org. Can you tell me a little bit about them and, and how you got connected? Cause I see their t-shirts all the time and they're really cool. Yeah. So again, this kind of just speaks to the power of Instagram. You know, I got a direct message one day from this organization that, you know, 
almost seemed like a scheme at first, just the way that they're, you know, they send you, sent me a message, you know, we really like what you're doing with your students and how you're empowering them and whatever. Um, we would like to, to send you some merchandise for you to kind of promote. Um, we want to tell you about our organization and like, think you'd be a good candidate to, you know, promote this, this company. So what, what they are is they, um, they, every single month they match or they, I guess, pair with um, just some type of various organization that kind of affects teens in some way. So um, like the, the dare um, for drug and alcohol awareness, um, Smokey, the bear, um, NASA, there's just different ones. Um, and each month they have a different partnership with one of these organizations that kind of impacts teens um, in some way, in one way or another. And then what they do is they sell their, they sell these, they sell their clothing. Um, it's usually a bundle. So a shirt and a hat, um, you know, in the winter, it might be like a, a bee and a sweatshirt. And then in the summer, it's more just like a, a snapback and a t-shirt or something. Um, and every bundle they sell. So every shirt that they sell, they, they donate one to um, a teen in need somewhere um, in the country. So it's a really cool concept because it has a dual purpose of promoting these valuable teen organizations while simultaneously providing clothing to underprivileged teens um, in some areas. So it's just kind of been, um, I mean, I don't really have like an official partnership or anything with them, but it's just kind of something that I found some value in. And um, I just think it's important to promote. And then they, um, they even reached out to me again and they have some other, um, merchandise that they said, you know, we feel like there's some students at your school that could benefit from, from our products as well. So, you know, then I go to the, the guidance counselors and I say, okay, can you, can you come up with four students you really think would, would like just like a cool t-shirt and a hat? And then, you know, we get it, um, get it shipped to the school and then it kind of makes their way to the students' hands just kind of anonymously. Um, you know, here's, you did, you've been doing awesome in school this month. So, you know, here's a little, little treat for you. Oh man, that's awesome. And I just saw, cause yeah. I, you know, once I saw them on your feed, I follow them and they got a really cool, um, national parks t-shirt right now that I think I'm going to actually have to yeah. go ahead and get. I, I feel like that's a, a super cool thing. So, all right. Yeah, man. I want to yeah, so definitely, they, they've got some, uh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, you, you finish up here. Cause I was just going to keep it moving. So finish up whatever oh, okay. you were going to yes. say. So they've got um, an event coming up that they, so this month they paired with um, Red Nose Day USA um, to end uh, childhood poverty. So they're doing a big thing on May 24th for Red Nose Day. Um, so this month's package came with like the Red Nose that's sold by Walgreens to, um, you know, pr promote awareness about ending childhood poverty. So they just do some really cool, um, really cool engaging things to, um, like I said, dual purpose of promoting these organizations while simultaneously, you know, giving some products to some under underprivileged kids no that's perfect that's that is awesome that's that's a super cool i mean and like and like you said the t-shirts are really cool the ones that i've seen so i mean i i think that's a win-win all the way around so to be respectful of your time on this uh evening i want to make sure we get to the last few questions so um what's the best advice you've ever been given and who was the person that gave it to you um, I would say it was probably from either my mentor or my department head when I first started at my school. Um, and it's something that I kind of already touched on. And it's just don't be afraid to make mistakes, especially when you're a new teacher. You know, you can't play it safe every single day. You've got to take risks for yourself and for your students. So, you know, if you have an idea that you think might kind of work, you know, just try it. The, the worst that's going to happen is 
that it's not going to work and you're not going to achieve whatever objectives you had for the day. And then the next day you can try something else. So I think you just need to not be afraid to make mistakes, try new things, um, you know, so that you can learn and grow more as a teacher and then your students can also do the same. Awesome. And, and what we, and this can be within teaching or this can be outside of teaching. What is your proudest accomplishment to date? Proudest accomplishment. Um, I would say, um, last year I received a recognition from Apple, um, as an Apple distinguished educator for my use of technology to elevate learning, um, in my classroom. So I was one of 125 teachers from across the entire country last year to receive this distinction. Um, and it was just a really cool experience to get a recognition from, um, from this company. That's something that I I'm really passionate about. And I found a lot of use for, and a lot of, I've taken a lot of energy, um, to implement these products into my classroom. So it was really cool to get recognized by that company. Um, and it kind of just opened up, you know, a lot of different relationships with other teachers across the country who also use Apple and who also, you know, use an iPad in their classroom or whatever. So it's just been a really cool learning experience for me um, and a really something that I'm proud of to, to receive that recognition. That's awesome. All right. Um, before we ask you the final question and get you out of here, um, where can people go to connect with you uh, on social or online? Um, I have um, most of the four major social media platforms. Um, I have a class Facebook page. Um, it's called Meet Me in the Classroom, but it's me in is my last name, so M-E-I-G-H-E-N. Um, I also have a Twitter. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as Mr. Meehan. I have a LinkedIn as well if, um, if people are looking to connect on LinkedIn. So, you know, I love meeting new people. I love talking to new people, um, whether it's just answering questions or, you know, swapping ideas or just, you know, kind of, you know, sharing experiences. I just love talking to new people around the country. I've met so many amazing uh, teachers and made some really awesome friends in the last couple of years um, just from connecting on social media. And I think it's... Um, I just think it's awesome. So if, if you're looking to connect with me, you know, find me on there, reach out, send me a message. I'll absolutely reply back to you. Um, and maybe we can uh, get a conversation going. Awesome. All right. So final question we got for you tonight is, um, what do you want your legacy to be? Uh, that's tough. I think, you know, I just want it to be just somebody who, you know, like to have a lot of fun, take chances and live on the edge and just, you know, try as many different things as you can. I'm, I'm a huge proponent of life experience and, you know, learning positive and negative things from all of the different things that you do throughout your life. So I just want to, I just want to be known as somebody who, you know, wasn't afraid to, to try new things. Don't hold back, you know, life's too short. So I try and, you know, instill that message in my students. If there's something that you really want to do, you really want to try um, even though you, you're not sure how it's going to work out, go for it. And then, you know, you'll see, you'll see how it goes and you'll see what you can learn from that. So I just really want to be known as somebody who, you know, always likes to go for it. Um, not be afraid to try new things. Like I've already said multiple times and yeah, that's me. Awesome. Well, Mitchell, me, and we really appreciate you coming on the, the podcast and sharing your story with everybody. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me tonight. It was a good, great, great convo.